I'm going to tell you a story tonight of, about a little girl, and uh, some of you know her. Um, if Maisie is in here, is Maisie in here? Uh, Maisie and London know this little girl extremely well. There's a little girl uh, where we take our granddaughters to daycare, and she's two years old, maybe barely two years old. Her name, can I say her name? Yeah, I'm going to say her name. Her name is Mac, two years old. And you think, well, what can a little two-year-old teach you? Oh, my goodness. This little girl, when you walk in, she greets you at the door. And often she asks for a hug or she gives you a hug or she'll just come and lay her head on your leg and hug you. And then when she knows we're there to get the girls, instantly she goes to where London's usually already beat her. But she's taking their book bags off their hook, their jackets off their hook, taking them to them, helping them put them on. This is a two-year-old little girl. And uh, Miss Carol, a lady that works there, said she, she is the most serving giving little girl she's ever seen and you may know who she is I don't know her last name but I began to think a two-year-old little girl does everything she can to accommodate everybody else around her she's amazing isn't she dude when you walk in there you want to just see little Mac and you want to just grab her and hug on her and she is a precious gem but there's something about her uh, she's a helper she's a gatherer she's a server she's a hugger she's truly a gem and um for quite a while, my wife and I kept asking the girls, what's that little bitty girl's name? It's always helping, that little bitty girl with the blonde curly hair, blah, 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 blah. And they would never, finally, I'm amazed. I goes, that's Mac. And her name's really Mackenzie, but they call her Mac. And I thought, what has this little girl seen that she is so instilled in her that she helps everybody that she can? Dude, it is ingrained in the two-year-old. And I don't think I've ever seen a little kid her age, and she may not even be quite two, but I don't think I've ever seen a kid who's that willing to serve and help others is this little girl. And maybe think about all the things that we've been talking about the last month here in our Sunday school classes and a lot of the messages we've been talking about serving. And this whole month is based off one passage. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but I came to serve. I came to serve, not be served. And when it comes to worship, it's not about you being served, it's about you serving. When it comes to anything in ministry, it's about you serving, not being served. What happens when we begin to want to be served all the time is we become spoiled. My wife, uh, I'm, I'm probably going to get in trouble for this one, so honey, you might want to leave the room real quick. Uh, um, <clears throat> my wife made a great supper the other night. How many of y'all know what cube steak is? How many of y'all just seen my wife shake her head? Say it isn't so, but I'm going to tell it anyway. And my wife made cube steaks. It's one of the favorite meals that Leighton and I ask for. Right, Leighton? It's all we always ask, and she makes brown gravy and mashed potatoes, or potatoes, we call them potatoes anyway, mashed potatoes and, and corn and cube steak and brown gravy. And, and it, Does that sound like delish? It really is. It's very healthy. There's no fat, saturated grains or whatever that stuff is. It's really healthy, and, and uh, she made it. Well, me and Leighton used, oh, man, this is awesome. Oh, man, give me some more. Have me more steaks, you know, whatever. And that night we were just eating. And one goes, oh, is it any good? Well, yeah, it's good. We're eating it. I better leave that one alone. But anyway, my wife had put in all of her effort to create something that she knows him and I love to eat. And, honey, don't turn around. Turn it this way. Lord, Lord, don't get involved. And uh, but one of the things about it, she served us because she wanted to. And I've been asking her for this for over a week. And she finally done it. And you know what my appreciation was? 
evidently not near enough, all right? And so I have eaten it, and it's all gone. All the mashed potatoes are gone. You know, I, 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 that's, it doesn't matter. But I'm getting deeper in the hole here. So here's the thing about serving. Serving isn't just about the accolades that come back, but it's because you want to. And that's really the heart of my wife. Her, her whole life as a mother, she's always tried to do things geared at each kid. If it was something they like to eat, that's what she made. It was, I, I can't really tell you how many times over the years, even when my daughter was out in sin and living the way she did, when my wife knew she was going to come home, you know what she would make for Atlanta? She would make kielbasa and green beans and potatoes because my daughter loved it. It was something about her heart and her nature. She wanted to provide that for a daughter that may have been wayward, but she wanted her to come home and have the meal that she enjoyed. Am I correct? Am I right? Absolutely I'm right. So I want to talk to you for just a minute about learning to serve starts at a young age, and it begins as we prepare those as, as small children and those around us to learn to serve. If you go to the book of John in chapter 6, we have a scenario here, and, and we're going to start in verse 5. And when Jesus lifted up his eyes, he saw a great company come unto him. And he said unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient. That's about thirty-five dollars. That is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, There is a lad here. What is a lad? It's a little boy which had five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass at the place, so the man sat down in a number of about 5,000. And I want to stop here for a minute because I don't know about you, but one of the things I've learned about little kids that if they have something that they're the only one that's got it, they don't want anybody else to have it. They don't want to share it. They kind of want to take care of it and kind of keep it close. It's kind of the way they are. You all heard me tell stories about ice cream sandwiches, right? You've heard those stories. Certain Pop-Tarts, if there's one pack left, where's it going? It's going where they can't find it. If it's ice cream sandwich, it's hid behind other stuff. Are you with me? That's how us males think. And this is a little boy. He knew how to protect his own. But stay with me. The thing about this little boy, he gave up his lunch. He was hungry like anybody else or he was going to be. And that was his source. Then the issue is this. Where did the five loaves of bread and the two fish come from? It came from somebody else who prepared it. But the mentality to learn to give didn't originate with the boy, but he was carried on with the boy. Are, are you following me? It started with his mother. His mother wanted him to be prepared. And when we serve and we do things for others, it's about making other people be prepared for what's to come. When you teach a Sunday school class or you lead worship or you speak on the platform or you greet people in the foyer or whatever your dynamic is here, it is about preparing them for the next step. It isn't just about right now. And I thought about this little boy. He's kind of like Mac. And I can just see a little five- or six-year-old boy with teeth missing and, you know, all the little, little things. You know, Emily, I thought of you, honey, teeth missing. And he's there with his little brown bag, and he's got his food, and he's got his little round Jewish hat on, and he's listening to Jesus talk. And he said, dude, I've got some food. I've got some food. Hey, Andrew, look at what I brought. I've got a bunch. I can't eat it all. I'll share it. And so he gives it to Andrew, and Andrew takes it to the one who knew what was going to happen because somebody knew how to give as a small kid. You see, you may not think this is a big deal, but it is a big deal because we learn to serve just like Mac by observing how other people around us who lead learn to serve. And it is so critical in every one of our lives that we take this month of serving very personal because if you don't get it, what else is it going to take for us to get it about serving others? 
What's it going to take? Well, the boy had the provision, but it was Jesus who was the source, and I think that's important too. A lot of times in life we may have the provision, maybe the, maybe the money or the time or the talent, but it's God who is the source that makes the difference. And some of us are the source or the, or the resource or the provision in people's lives, and God is the source to use us in their life. Now, when we think about serving and we think about us in ministry involved in church from any perspective, it's all about being available. And some of us are a lot more available than others, and I understand that we get into different positions on the way we're willing to serve. Now, I'm going to give you two types of people that, that seem to operate in this world in which we live. Some people move toward a need, and other people's run away from the need. And I'm going to ask you, are you the kind of person, when you see a need, you're migrating to it? Or are you the kind of person that sees there's going to be responsibility, and I'm going to back away from it? I'm not real good on, on a lot of blood and, and you know people being hurt and bones broken and sticking out of the skin and, and all that kind of stuff. It's not really my thing. But more than once I've heard Bob Blair talk about coming upon accidents. And I'll be honest with you, if I come up on an accident and somebody's hurt real bad and there's blood everywhere, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at it for a minute. And if there's nobody else there, I'm going to get involved. But I'm not the guy that just runs up and grabs a leg, puts it back together, puts a tourniquet on it, starts, you know, praying as I'm wrapping it up. And it's, but that's not me. I'm, I got, oh, you know, I'm not going to throw up. But it's really not me. Does that make sense? Some people run toward the need. Others of us step back and watch it and see who else is going to do it. And if you really watch the disciples, you notice there was always three guys that Jesus was a little more, had a little more tendency to call them out among the 12. And what were their names? Peter, James, and John. And how many times do we hear about them? Why? Because they were the guys who were more migrating toward the need instead of running from it. And the day in which we live, we have a lot of people that want the needs to be taken care of and they want all the things to be done, but few people are willing to run to the need. Yes. You've heard my story, my, my CPR. How many of y'all remember my CPR story in college? How many of you remember it? I mean, you remember it vividly. As soon as I start telling it, you will remember this. And some of you have never heard it. I was in college, and it was a, um, it was a teaching class. We had to prepare like a, a three-minute, six-minute, ten-minute lessons. And we would prepare these lessons. And, and anybody remember it now when I was in college? And I was in this teaching class, and and. I was, you know, the teacher didn't really like me. Her name is Judy Brown, and it doesn't matter about her. But anyway, uh, so I had this teaching class, and there's a guy sitting beside me. He was ex-military. He's a really different dude, just a really different guy, great guy, but just really different. And he's one of those real skinny guys, and he kept his head shaved and stuff, and, and, I, and I had big glasses, and we always talked, but he was just kind of awkward. And I would forget this class that day. I was sitting there in my seat, and I sat on the aisle about three rows back, and he sat across from me. And all of a sudden, he started making groaning noises. Are you remembering the story now? He started grunting and groaning. Uh, and I thought, you know, what you think of the dude grunting and groaning, you know, he's whatever. And before a few minutes, all of a sudden, he's in the floor holding his chest. Well, I'm looking around, nobody's jumping down. Everybody else is just talking like nothing's happening. And I'm freaking out because this dude's dying beside me. So I jump out of my seat, grab, jump down beside him, lay my hands on him, start praying for him. Remember the rest of the story? My teacher comes up, pokes me on the shoulder. Hey, Dwight, this is, a, <clears throat> this is a CPR class. So here I am. Are you with me? <clears throat> I throat punched her. Perhaps she said that. She went sit down. But, but, but here's the thing. Okay, I didn't really throat punch her. 
Jesus said, vengeance is mine. The Lord said, vengeance is mine, right? You know, the, one of the things that I failed in that day when I went into class, and, and after I got done praying for the guys and crying and all the stuff I went through praying for him, and he did raise the resurrect. He rose from the dead. He got back in his seat. He was amazing. But I looked up on the board and had CPR on it real big. So that didn't help anything either. But I did learn something, that regardless if it's jumping on two guys fighting in a lecture class or it was a guy dying beside me, it's not something I'm comfortable with. But there's a need you better be, better be willing to respond. And I don't care who we are. That may be in a, an embarrassing moment, and probably nobody else in that class ever remembered it, ever. Not even the teacher in her prison days. They never remembered it but me. But I learned something about responding. I think one of the most important things we can learn is learn how to respond. I'm going to ask everybody to stand up real quick. I haven't done this in about a year. I'm going to ask you to stand up. I want you to get your blood pumping. I want you to be really well and uh, alert. And um, so you can sit back down. But I'm going to ask you, which one are you? Are you the man or the woman who sits and watches when somebody else, uh, something's going on? Are you the one that responds? I want to take two places in the Old Testament. I want to go to a, a lady. It's in 1 Kings in chapter 17. I am really awkward holding a microphone. It's something I've only done, I bet you, 10 times in my life. Um, so it kind of really throws me out of my rhythm, what rhythm I have or whatever. Anyway, <clears throat> so go to First, First Kings chapter 17, and I want to go verses 7 through 16. And this is a very common passage. But I want to tell you something that happens to us sometime. We, we fall in the same trap she did. Verse 7 says, And it came to pass that after a while that the brook dried up, which is a creek, or if you're from Michigan, a crick, because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, Elijah, saying, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zodon, Zidon, and dwell there. And behold, I've commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. And he arose and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow woman was gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called for her, called to her, and he said, Bring me, I pray thee, a little morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two six, that I may go in and dress it for me and for my son, that we may eat it, and what? And die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as you have said, but make me therefore a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and thy son. Now, I want to stop there because he gave her a command after that. But here's the thing that this woman was up against. This woman was asked to do something that was completely contrary to her mothering instincts. Her mothering instincts was not to give to somebody else at this point because she already was a widow. She already had limited resources. And now somebody else, this man of God, is asking her for something else. Now, I'm not big on television and I'm not big on preachers and television telling you to, to sow this seed and I get so tired of hearing uh, and I believe in seed and I believe about sowing and I believe that there's times that the Lord compels us to give sacrificially and, and the reasons that we give is, is just there's just things and there's power in sowing and giving but it isn't a manipulation like we see on TV but this particular man was doing as the Lord told him he said I want you to do this because the Lord told me to, to tell you to go do this you can read the last verse I didn't read 
And so she went and she made the little morsel and she brought him a cake and brought him his water and he ate it. And the scripture says that she never ran out of meal or oil until the famine was over. But here's the problem. Many of us are just like this woman because we have a fixed income and we have limited resources and we can't do what we used to or we can't do this like we used to. And so now things are different in our life. And with things being different, we get the mentality that she has. The widow didn't realize that she had what she had. She thought she was spent. She thought she had given everything that she had. When in all reality, many of us don't even realize the resources we do have. And this is where we get stuck. Be careful that you don't dwell just on what you have have lost. That you get to a point that you don't appreciate what you still have left. Let me read that again. Be careful that you don't you don't dwell on just on what you have lost. In other words, she lost her husband, she lost her income, she lost all of her resources. That you get to a point that you don't appreciate what you still have. Because sometimes we get so consumed with what we don't have that we can't see what we have. It's kind of like a, a woman or a man who loses their spouse and they can't find value in anything else. It was like everything about their life was just that spouse. There is more to life, and I'm not belittling marriage, but life goes on after death. It just does, and responsibilities, and you still have purpose, and you still have a reason, and you still have an impact to be made. And often we, we just get so hung up on what we've lost that we don't think we have anything else to give. Matter of fact, there are women in this room who have never come into their own until they hit 50. They never knew what God had in store for them, and they never found their real value, I think, until they hit 50. Because it was at that place in their life they began to see that there's something more important about who they are than what they'd always been in their past. So sometimes we get blinded, and we can't see past the obvious. And so now we think, well, I don't have anything else to do. At the age that I am, I, I can't do this, I can't do that. Or something happened you didn't like it, so I'll just give up and quit. And this woman was at to the place that she didn't realize she had something, but she did. And some of you in this room have something to give. And it may not always be a big amount or a big something or a great big talent, but it is so critical that you learn to give of yourself. The last place I want you to go is 2 Kings, and it's chapter 4. And again, we have the heart of a woman. And I think that if you really ran the numbers on, on men and women, and you see who was more generous, I really think that oftentimes it's, it's women that are a little more generous than men. They have a spot about giving and, and meeting the needs and reaching out and, and, and being a role player and things that a lot of times men aren't. Uh, there's a lot of people that my wife will have compassion on. I'll say they're a deadbeat. I ain't have nothing to do with them. She might have a little more compassion because those guys were kind of what? Something like that. More like we'll take care of herself. And, but there's something about a woman's heart. When God made her, she helped bring balance to a man. And she helps him to see things. Same way with kids. The woman sees the soft side of things. We, we as men often are more cut and dry. And we have a scenario here with a woman. And her, her name was, I don't know what her name was. All I know is we call her the Shunammite woman. And um, in Second Kings chapter 4 and verse 8 it says, And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, and there was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread, and so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in there to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, husband, behold, I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passeth by us continually, and let us make a little chamber, and I pray thee on the wall, and let us set for him there a, a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. 
And it shall be that whenever he comes to us, that he should turn in there. And it fell on the day that he came, and he turned into the chamber, and he laid there. And I'm not going to read any farther, because I want you to see there was something about this lady. Now, was this lady a widow? Was she out of resources? No. We have two extremes. The lady who had nothing thought she had nothing. The woman who had a lot knew she had more to give. And sometimes we get a little disoriented in, in, in how we think because we think, well, because I've earned everything I have, I should never share it. I should never give it. This woman seen, and she was compelled by the Lord to build a little room. Or, and actually, it's probably like a little bed you can fold down with chains, whatever. There's a small little area for this guy to rest as he traveled. But let me, let me stick to my notes. <clears throat> she saw a need, and she set a plan to help. Could God have used somebody else? Absolutely. But this was a woman who had great wealth, and she had great influence. If you think, and I'm not, don't take this in any way that's wrong. If you have wealth, your wealth is not just about you. And anybody that I know that's a believer that has wealth pretty much understands that. But those of you who are here are going to come into wealth as you mature and as you get older. Don't ever get caught up in the place that you think that it's just about you. It never has been. The wealth that God gives you is a funnel and a resource to make a difference in other people's lives. And that should be a common occurrence in every one of our lives. Should it not be? Absolutely. So she was opposite of the widow that had wealth. The first lady was opposite of the widow who had wealth. This lady had it. She didn't feel taken advantage of, and she had a desire to serve. What is it that, that even someone like her had a desire to serve instead of be served? What's the deal? Oftentimes you think that someone like her would be more demanding, but she wasn't. She's seen the need to serve somebody else. Last point. I think the most important thing about this is that she knew that her resources came from the Lord. And friend, your resources that God has given you have come from Him for a purpose. Now, we're going to watch a video. It's six minutes long. And often we think the little things that we do. Now, how many of y'all know how old I am? How many of y'all know? No smart elk remarks, but I'm 50 what? Thank you. I'm 54. 54 years old, and I met a little girl by the name of Mac. Mac. Two years old, approximately. And I don't think in my life I've ever met anybody at two years old that had the heart and the ability to serve as Mac. And if I'm 54, we've been involved in ministry for 30-something years I've never seen anybody like her. I think I've got a lot more to learn about serving. I think I've got a lot more to learn about passing the serving on. And it may be something little that you do that you may think is not even important, but it's huge. Now, we're all on different, we're all on different platforms of where we are in life and, and people that we reach out to. We're going to watch this video, and it's by a guy by the name of Tim Tebow. How many of you ever heard of Tim Tebow? As soon as he left the greatness of Florida, instantly all the scouts said he's too slow. He cocked his arm funny. He's left-handed. He's backwards. You know, left-handed people are. You know, they're always backwards. And they just begin to say all the things. About, I know. I've got family that's left-handed. It was a joke. Uh, but they began to run him down. He lasted in the NFL two or three years. All he lasted because he got a lot of criticism, mainly because of his faith. But he had a platform that nobody else in college football had and then the NFL had on what you're about to see. And the results of it were absolutely amazing. Pretty amazing. Something as insignificant as tar on the face with John 3.16. Who would have ever thought in that playoff game he would average 31.6 yards per pass? 
he would have thrown for 316 yards. He would have rushed for 3.16 yards every time he touched the ball. That they held the ball for the whole game for 31 minutes and 31 minutes and 60 seconds. I believe 32 minutes. 31, whatever it was. Are you with me? Now, do you see why Mac is so important? The smallest things can make the most huge difference in your life. Often we think serving is something big and glamorous and seen. We're not all a Mother Teresa. We're just not. But we are important with where we are and the time we are where we're at. Friend, never quit serving. He could have put mom under one eye and dad under the other. This guy that we showed the video on, how many of y'all have no idea who Tim Tebow is? You have no idea. How many of you know exactly who Tim Tebow is? Yeah, yeah, yeah they, they trashed him. But anyway, Tim Tebow was one guy who was a light amongst a lot of darkness. And he made the difference at the Florida Gators. And the thing is, he's made a difference on every platform he's ever been because he's always made sure that his example was right. Has he walked in perfection? Probably not. But I know he has a passion to do the little things right. And if that's the key in our lives about serving and our attitude's right and our thinking's right, we'll be in for the long haul. We'll be in the ones who survive. We'll be the ones who make the difference, just like Mac. So my prayer for Mac is, what's her family like? What's her environment like? I want her to have the right family, the right environment, so this spirit of giving, this spirit of serving will be in her their whole life, and she'll be a difference maker wherever she goes. Same way with us, John 3, 16. All the difference in the world. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. I could go on some more stories, but I won't. Like Bill Wilson, Richard, uh, uh, not Richard, um, Wilkerson. Dave Wilkerson, his brother was rich. I could tell you person after person that had a dream. And as the dream materialized, it affected a lot more than just a person who had the dream. All right. God's good, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Let's stand if you don't mind.